Welcome back to Season 3 of A Virtual View, a UMTRC podcast. Today we're joined by Cherie Nichols, the co-director of the Great Lakes Mental Health Technology Transfer Center. Cherie, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to get a chance to speak with you about everything that the TTCs, is that the acronym that you guys use? Yes, TTCs. Okay. (laughs) I don't want to to say Technology Transfer Center every time, so we'll default to that. So could you tell us a little bit about you before we get into the TTCs? Yeah, absolutely. So as you mentioned, I'm Sheree Nichols. I'm the co-director of the Great Lakes Mental Health Technology Transfer Center, and I'm also the state project manager for our other two arms, our ATTC, PTTC, as well as the mental health side. But uh, background for me is I have a master's in marriage and family therapy. I worked for 12 years in county government in the state of Wisconsin, and so I've had a a wide variety of experiences working in intensive in-home therapy, outpatient therapy, uh, working with adolescents and their families, and then also moving into management and supporting all of the mental health substance use and crisis programs for uh, a rural county here as well in Wisconsin. So about two years ago, I joined UW-Madison in our chess center and started working with the TTCs. Very cool. You said 12 years in county government? Sure. Long haul. You are a strong woman. (laughs) I loved it. It was great. It was wonderful. But time for a change, too. (laughs) So I think you all at the TTCs might have a similar issue that we do at the TRCs, where we have this great program, but it's something not a lot of people really know about. So could you tell us a little bit more about what the technology transfer centers are? Absolutely. So think of the TTCs as kind of an umbrella because there's three different arms to it. All of us are federally funded by SAMHSA to support the behavioral health workforce in our different regions. So we support the Great Lakes region, um, which is Illinois, Wisconsin, Ohio, Indiana, Michigan, and Minnesota. And we do that in three different ways. Addiction, mental health and prevention. Mm -hmm. And so we provide training and technical assistance to all six of our states in order to kind of continue to educate different evidence-based practices in order to kind of continue to share that education that we know is working well for different individuals. But today we're talking specifically about the mental health arm and being able to kind of support our workforce in a variety of different ways. If you go to our website, you'll find out that we have a lot of different training opportunities that we're offering throughout the year that support uh, different priorities that we have, including suicide prevention, motivational interviewing, trauma-informed care. And we also specialize in the Great Lakes region in process improvement. So we have a really great opportunity for people to join and consider what are some things that they can do within kind of leadership or within their different centers or even county governments to think about what are ways that they can improve the processes they have in order to improve, of course, better outcomes for the people that they serve. And of course, one of our focus always is implementation. So because we're federally funded and we want to be able to provide these free trainings for everyone, which is the big hook, right? <laughs> like everyone <laughs> needs to know that this resource is free. It's something I wish I would have known about when I worked in those 12 years of county government to be able to access and to be able to share with the staff that I supported. 
um, just because they're just such a great opportunity. Um, but really, lots of people go to trainings every day, but that doesn't mean that they implement it. So one of the things that we're always trying to consider is what are ways that we can make these meaningful trainings, but also work on implementing them within the system that individuals work with. So one of the ways that we do that is talking about that process improvement. So getting the right people in the right seat on the right bus and being able to hopefully make the changes that are necessary to improve the outcomes that we're all looking for. I think that's so important because you can have as many wonderful trainings as you want, but if people aren't doing anything actionable about them, then it's just like sitting through a documentary. It doesn't really have any use. I say we want the impact. Yeah, no, that's so important. And I really like that you guys consider that. I think that's really useful. So the region that you guys are covering, that's a very large, diverse region. Is that ever a challenge working across a space that's like that big with that many different people, environments? Sure, absolutely. And and our region set up just based on the kind of SAMHSA Region 5. Um, mm-hmm. So it was given to us, but we uh, have a really great way that we, I, at least we think it's a great way that we work within our six states because we are so widespread and we have a variety of you know, larger communities and of course, rural communities. And so the way our region set up is that we have subject matter experts in each of the states. We call them nodes. So we partner with each of them to be able to, to be able to offer us information, like what's happening at the ground level. You guys are um, working there. You know what's happening. You're seeing it fresh at that ground zero and being able to give that information back to us. But then we're also able to help support them in being able to offer some of those trainings or the technical assistance directly too. So it's kind of a great partnership. It's, you know, we work both ways that way. Each of the states has one of those. So it makes it a little bit easier to keep things a little bit more in tune. So we're hopefully making the best decisions with all the information that we gather. No, that's great. I've always heard the saying that uh, all responses start at the local level. So the fact that you're starting on a regional basis and like going up is great. Yeah. So what is some of the day-to-day work you're doing with the TTCs aside from the trainings that you're providing? A lot of it is the trainings, whether we're recording it and posting it on our websites or project managing it behind the scenes to get it up and running. But the other part of our job, you know, just like I talked about, each of the states has their own nodes. Each of their state Mm -hmm. also has their own project manager. So we have different people within our centers that's directly connected to one state. So as I said in my introduction, I'm directly connected to Minnesota. And so part of my role then is to make sure that I'm connecting with either state representatives or community members or, you know, networking opportunities throughout the state so that I'm doing that same thing that I, the nodes are doing, but I'm gathering all different types of information from across the state as well. So it's a lot of great opportunities to have great conversation and to be challenged by those that are at, you know, the ground level and teaching us, you know, where we can make improvements, you know, finding trainings that are fitting the needs that are out there. Every couple of years, we do a needs assessment that allows for us to gather that kind of global look too. But then in those in-between years, that's what we're looking at is this is what the assessment told us and this is what we're focusing on. But then those conversations that we're having throughout those next couple of years either support that or there's sometimes changes, right? None of us anticipated COVID happening when it did. And so that allowed us to, those conversations and that change allowed us to kind of pivot pretty freely to say, what are the, what can we do now to do this better? 
Prior to COVID, we did a lot of in-person trainings. So COVID really taught us the importance of being able to, you know, utilize the virtual platforms like we all learned through that process and to really remove barriers. Because, you know, a lot of those trainings were happening in larger communities. Some of those rural communities couldn't make the transportation, like they couldn't get there to be able to participate in that training. So the virtual platform really removes so much of that. But we are always constantly considering sometimes things are just better in person. So when those requests come in, we do want to take that into consideration that there is something really organic about being in person and having that same type of conversation as well. So we're trying to balance both. Can't make everything perfect, um, but we're always trying to balance both of those needs that people have across the region. And as somebody who's a, uh, air quotes, telehealth professional, I'm uh, quite pleased to hear that you've been using these virtual platforms to great effect because when we talk about healthcare and behavioral healthcare in like specific, there can be a ton of access issues, particularly when we are dealing with those rural populations. And I feel like your region does have a lot of those. So is that something where you think telehealth is a useful tool for fostering sort of that, that access? Absolutely. And I, in all transparency, I was speaking of my prior experience. I was not a telehealth fan when I was working in the <laughs> county. I really wanted to be the rural county that said, no, we will have a psychiatrist on, you know, on mm-hmm. staff. You will be able to see your psychiatrist face to face and in person. And this, you know, that's where COVID really challenged my own kind of professional growth too. And recognizing that, you know, telehealth isn't for everyone, but it, but it works for a lot of people too. And there were barriers that were created by having in-person, only in-person meetings too. And so being able to do it in the comfort of your own home, whether there's chaos happening around you sometimes, um, the fact that you can still meet with your provider and start to work on some of the struggles or concerns that you're having right in the comfort of your own home, it really has made a world of difference And I know that studies have shown that those that previously did not participate in treatment or were not adherent to the normal treatment regimen are actually doing phenomenally better with the telehealth option. So I think that that's been a really good opportunity for us to learn how there's lots of different ways to get to this, you know, to solve or to help support people. No, that's fantastic. And do you think the telehealth aspect, being able to meet from your own home, when we're talking about behavioral health, do you think that's something that cuts down on the stigma a little bit? Oh, absolutely. I think it, it normalizes it, right? Because so much, mm-hmm. whether we love it or not, so much of our world is already virtual or online or social media mm-hmm. related. And it has become the way that we best communicate with each other. And so it, it takes a little bit of the formality of it out of it. And it doesn't feel so intimidating of going into the four walls of someone's office as a professional. So I think it just helps people to feel more comfortable and at ease and remove some of those uh, normal formalities and, you know, allows people to maybe dig a little deeper a little sooner. Yeah, I feel like it's probably a lot easier if you're somebody who's reticent to seek mental health care, behavioral health care, to sit down at your computer or to like pull up your phone than it would be to be like, okay, I'm going to drive to this place. I'm going to find childcare for my kids. I'm going to take time off work and I'm going to go to the specific location to get this healthcare. Yeah. And that might be 45 minute drive because that's the only Mm -hmm. provider that has access to you, right? Or, or that your insurance covers and that's, it's just not okay. It's not a good use of time. Yeah. I think getting 
rural populations connected with specialty providers and behavioral health care providers. I think that's something that's so vital. And I know we're here to talk more about the mental health TTC today, but have you seen any use of sort of telehealth remote platforms, that kind of things in your work with substance use disorder at all? Because I'm connected with the ATTC as well, we, we mm-hmm. see that regardless, you know, and, and I'm directly connected with Minnesota, as I've said, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to matter who the provider is. They found increasingly beneficial ways to connect with people through the telehealth way. I know that sometimes makes some things trickier. Mm-hmm. It has not always been great, but it has definitely helped a lot of people that it previously wouldn't have helped. So I, again, it's, it's not for everyone, but it's such a great opportunity for those that it's really such a good fit for. And really, that's what we're always looking at, right? It doesn't matter what model you use or even what evidence-based practice. Sometimes it's about what's the best fit for that individual. And so this just is such a great opportunity, regardless of what you're in treatment for, to be able to meet with your provider. And even as a big proponent of telehealth, mm-hmm. I can admit that not everyone is going to do well being treated through telehealth, regardless of the condition. Some people it just does not work for, and some providers it just does not work for. Right. But when we can make it work, it can be a great tool for access. And like anything, it needs to be genuine and authentic, right? And so if the Mm -hmm. provider's not comfortable with it, then that's okay too, right? Like we have to work what works best for us as well too, so... Right. And that's where the TRCs come in. We're here to make providers comfortable. Yeah, right. It's a learning opportunity. (laughs) So most of the work you do with the, I'm going to get this acronym right, the MHTTC, is that right? Yep. (laughs) Okay. Is focused on mental health and behavioral care. So what sort of behavioral health needs, what were the TTCs and the MHTTCs in specific created to address? Yeah. And actually, I'll back up a little bit about what does Technology Transfer Center mean and why why do we have such a long name, right? Like it it makes it complicated because people hear Technology Transfer Center and they wonder, do you do IT work? (laughs) No, I cannot. I cannot fix your computer. Please don't make me um, because I'll probably (laughs) ruin it. But it was a name given to us by SAMHSA. ATTC has been around for a considerably longer period of time. And they decided to add the prevention and the mental health arm. And really what Technology Transfer Center comes down to is disseminating evidence-based practices into the workforce, right? And so we have these practices. Here's how we can support people and teach them and then help them implement it into the workforce. So that's that transfer piece that it's talking about. It makes for a mouthful of what we do. Um, <laughs> in some ways, it probably makes us memorable too, because we're like, oh yeah, you you don't do computers, you do uh, trainings. So first, that's kind of what where that uh, verbiage comes from. But then what we're kind of poised to do is to make sure that, you know, kind of what I referenced before about what are the needs within our region. So first, our job is to say what is out there, what is our region struggling with, and where can we help connect the dots? So once we learn that information, and we're constantly learning and changing that information, that we can make sure that we can access resources from across the nation, just different subject matter experts that allow us to then bring that information to our region to be able to help those people that are interested in it. So, you know, I referenced motivational interviewing, trauma-informed care. There's an ASAM project that Minnesota has utilized too, that we gathered subject matter experts from clear across the country to be able to help disseminate that information into Minnesota. And so our job is to then connect resources so that it can happen. So 
Well, thank you for the for the overview and explanation. So we touched on this briefly before and just now, but I'd like to get back to it a bit. You're part of a nationwide network of these TTCs. Could you tell me a little bit about how that works? Absolutely. So we are one of 10 across the country. So as I mentioned, we're uh, region five within the mm-hmm. SAMHSA, how SAMHSA kind of designates the region. So that allows for us to, you know, connect to other that might have a different expertise. So we're kind of known in our region for motivational interviewing, for expert training, and for that process improvement. But there might be another center, like I referenced the ASAM project, that might be from a another center that we're able to say, hey, this is your expertise. Can you either connect us to who you use or can you help support us in this? Other times we might work with those centers to be able to provide a grief sensitivity kind of virtual learning opportunity where all 10 of us come together and sponsor a whole virtual, you know, two or three days kind of convening um, because we know it's across the nation. It's something that we can all contribute to. It's got a wide reach. And actually we have people from other countries that log on early out of completely different time zones um, because they're so interested in the work that we do. So as long as we have spots available and we're not too full in our Zoom room, we will allow anyone in to to participate. And then we have two other national centers as well that we work with that one, for example, is the National Hispanic and Latino Center. They're housed out of Puerto Rico. So we're able to partner with them to help keep us fresh in the kind of what it means to be Hispanic and Latino and to make sure that we're, it's coming directly from them and we have their support through the process. So Last This last year, back in May in 2022, we supported a regional uh, conference, actually an in-person conference. It was the first we had done <laughs> since COVID <laughs> and the National Hispanic and Latino Center sponsored along with us. And we were able to bring sub- subject matter experts all over to support the Midwest because that's not something that really happens in the Midwest a lot. We don't get a lot of support for those big conferences when we do have populations that we serve like that. So it was a great opportunity to partner with them to support that or to give that conference back to our communities as well. And then there are other partners that we work with too that SAMHSA funds that aren't directly TTCs, but there's the African-American Behavioral Health Center of Excellence. Again, opportunities that we can utilize people from across the nation to be able to give the best (laughs) that there is so that we can support no matter what the need is. So, And I'm sure that cuts down on redundancy too. Our goal is to not duplicate efforts, right? Like Mm -hmm. not just because we're federally funded, but it doesn't serve a purpose that way when we can just do it really well once Mm -hmm. or twice. We don't have to keep trying to recreate the wheel every time. So we want to make sure that we're not doing that. So what does the future of your program look like? Yeah, absolutely. So we're actually a five-year grant, and this is our fifth year right now. So our funding ends the end of September of this year. And so we're waiting. We're, we're anticipating a new notice of funding opportunity in the next couple of months here. And of course, we're going to apply again and make sure that we do a really great job in applying. So in hopes mm-hmm. of getting another five-year grant opportunity so that we can continue the work that we've started. And I should say that our center in particular is one, I think of only two, if I'm correct, that houses all three. So it, we have a really great opportunity at the University of Wisconsin-Madison to be able to work 
collectively together across all three of those arms because we're all under the same center. And that's one thing I should also mention too is, you know, a lot of what we're hearing in across the region and across the nation, this isn't a, a aha moment, but we're having a lot of workforce retention and recruitment concerns and issues. So it was a really great opportunity in the next couple of months, we'll be able to offer a learning opportunity or kind of a learning collaborative across the addictions, mental health and prevention, TTCs under our center to offer a training about that because we thought the cross-pollination of all three is important. We may not all be feeling it all at the same time, but we're all can learn from each other. And so we don't want to miss an opportunity to connect all types of professionals, um, whether you're a preventionist or you're a therapist or a, an AO, you know, a substance use counselor, that we can connect everybody under the same kind of conversation to see what's out there and mm -hmm. what are some things that people can control when everything feels so out of control. Yeah. And with, uh, we mentioned earlier COVID and everything else that's been happening. There's a, there's a lot of out of control feelings among healthcare professionals right now. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't mention that we have a school-based mental health supplement as well under our MHTTCs that support directly school-based work. Um, so it's a separate supplement able to directly support school-based providers in lots of vari a variety of different topics, some of them being suicide prevention. There's a Project AWARE that's out there as well that some people might be familiar with as well. So it's a great opportunity to get specific school-based focused mental health supports as well. And have the same issues that have sort of been plaguing the rest of the workforce? Have you seen those sort of replicate themselves in the school-based workforce as well? Yeah. So they're not only looking at shortages of staff, it's also we're always considering self-care and burnout as well among all of our workforce. But school gets tricky. You're short-staffed and you want your staff to be able to grow, but they can only take on so much. And so it's, it's definitely been hard to make sure that there's people that are available and being able to be present because they're pulled in so many different ways. And I think school-based is a really particular niche. That's not something that every person can step into and do. You have to be compassionate and um, very empathetic mm -hmm. for the youth. And it isn't for everyone. And so it makes that recruitment and retention even more important. Yeah. So you're looking at like a specific subset within a specific subset. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for joining us today, Cherie. I really appreciate the opportunity to have this conversation and learn more about what the TTCs and yours in particular can provide. If there's any more additional information or resources you'd like to touch on before we sign off for the day. I would just say find us on our website. And of course, we're on social media as well. Facebook and LinkedIn are two great ways to find out what we're up to. Great. Well, thank you again. I really appreciate your insight. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to A Virtual View. You can find more information about today's episode in the show notes below. If you would like to support our podcast, please rate and review us on your favorite podcast player. Do you have any questions or topics you'd like us to discuss? If so, contact us at info at umtrc.org or through the form found in the show notes. Finally, a special thanks to the Health Resources and Services Administration, also known as HRSA. Our podcast series, A Virtual View, is sponsored in part by HRSA's Telehealth Resource Center program, which is under the Office for the Administrator and the Office for the Advancement of Telehealth. 
The content and conclusions of this podcast are those of Danielle Rankley of the UMTRC and should not be construed as the official policy of or the position of HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government. Thank you for listening and have a great day.